Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon. This sermon is part of a series called Trumpets and Seals, where we are preaching on Revelation chapters 4 through 11. One of the convictions that has led me to do this series at our church is that the book of Revelation is often a book that people are interested in, but fail to be impacted by. My hope is that this series will change that, at least for some people. With that in mind, I want to invite you to visit the webpage that corresponds with this series. It is wilsonville.church trumpets. On that page, you can watch the sermon videos, but more importantly, there is a respond button that makes it easy for you to reach out to us about the series. If a sermon in this series is impactful to you, I'd love you to reach out. Or maybe you have questions about one of the passages we preach on. Don't hesitate to click on that link and send your question to us. Revelation is a difficult book to understand, even for me, but I'll try my best to answer you. There's one more reason that I want you to visit wilsonville.church trumpets. I'm hoping to put a resource there that offers more insight into the details of the book of Revelation. Like I said, my focus in this series is to show people how God can impact their lives through the book, but I know there's a lot of stuff that interests people, and I want to provide something around that. That resource will be on wilsonville.church trumpets, so make sure to visit the site. Who knows? It might already be up when you hear this. Again, thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope it will be impactful. In fact, I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So my dad who is up here, I like him. Uh, he's a good dad, but I'm going to start with a story uh, today that, that uh, is you know, it makes him sound like he was a big old jerk. And so he doesn't know I'm doing this. He's probably right now thinking, what story is about to come out of his mouth? And do I need to change the inheritance? Uh, and, and so uh, he, here it is. It actually changed my life um, <clears throat> for the better. It changed my life for the better, this moment that I'm going to tell you about. But uh, he played a softball game. Um, some of my earliest memories are my dad and my uncle uh, playing slow pitch softball, church league. Uh, and and after the game, uh, he, and he looked at me, and he said, how, how do you think I played? Uh, and I said, you sucked. <laughs> he probably did. I was probably being honest. It must have been, he was a pretty good softball player. Some of you here have played softball with him, but, but I was probably telling the truth, but I said, you sucked. And, and he said, well, that's not very nice. Why would you say that? And I said, because you sucked. Uh, and I don't know my age for this, um, but, you know, pretty young. And, and he said, well, you can't say that. That's not nice. And I said back to him, that's what you say to me. Now, let me back up a little bit. My dad has never said you suck to me, not one single time. But I do remember, uh, it's pretty early in my days, but I do remember in the early days with sports that my dad was was pretty intense with me. You guys, if you've ever been around me in sports, you've seen how I feel, right? I, I, I coached my daughter uh, in softball last year, helped with my son, and, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to not care. They're six and seven-year-olds. It doesn't matter if the Blueberry Cheetahs win. This is not the World Series. In the first game, I got terribly outcoached. I was furious the whole time like things we had worked on didn't happen but I just stood there and after the game a parent looks at me and it's like I loved watching your face um and it was like oh so you can still see it you know and so those those things I get a lot from my uncle actually but my dad you know had some of that in him 
And, and it came out in really, I think, probably two negative ways when I was pretty, like, pretty young. I, I have this memory of, uh, I, we've never even talked about this. I don't even know where he's standing right now. I feel like I should know where he's standing. He might have left the room to help with my nephew. That's good. Uh, so he's in the back. Uh, don't tell him I said any of this. This will be, uh, this is good. This is perfect timing. But I have this really early memory of, of having a garbage can out and pitching to the garbage can uh, and and him just being so mad that I wasn't throwing strikes. So fast forward, he asks how I do in softball, and I tell him what he's told me without ever saying those words, you sucked. Uh, and, uh, and he is upset, and my stepmom is there, thankfully. She's the, one, she's the good one in the story. She also is here. Um, and she says to him, I don't remember this story. I've just been told this story. She says to him, that's probably what he hears when you're talking to him about what he's doing. And, and from that moment forward, like I, like I say, I have to stretch my memory. I mean, ball was my first word. Everything I did as a kid was centered around a baseball or a basketball. So these memories, these are early. This is really early. My dad never had to talk me into going outside and playing a sport with him. These are really early. I, I have no memories, except for kind of one, no memories of... Uh, of my dad being like actually mad at me over sports ever again. There was this one time when I was 13 when I started pitching and I wasn't supposed to. I took them out and asked him about it. Sometimes I was still probably mad about it. Um, but other than that, I don't have any of those memories. And, and you come to my life today and honestly, like, um, it's so in me to just be negative when it comes to, there's four people that it's like the first thing for me is negative. It's, it's me. Uh, I, I am my biggest critic. You can't tell me anything I haven't thought of about myself. Uh, and if you do, I don't think you're right. Um, uh, the second thing would be, uh, the second thing would be uh, my wife, and the third and fourth people would be my kids. And so they had their first basketball games yesterday, and it's so hard for me. It's so hard not to be negative when I watch. I mean, they're six years old, and I was so far past them at six years old. Don't tell them I said that either, but it's night and day difference. I got to talk them into going to play sports with me. But, uh, but I, it's, I just, everything in me is like, tell them they did this, and tell them they did that wrong, and tell them they did that wrong. But I have learned quickly, I did it quickly, because maybe this story that lives in infamy in my head, uh, we get in the car, and what I do with my kids is I say, three things you guys did great in that game. Let's talk about the three things you did well. And then I don't say any bad things. Uh, but over time, I obviously say, hey, you know, like, you should actually play defense, you know? Like, we talk about those things. Like, try not to, you know, run the wrong direction next week. Like, that would not embarrass your dad as much, you know? I don't say that. But, but I tell them the truth. And, and here, all that, all that, because I think it's important how we tell the truth. That's what I want to say. My dad kept coaching me. He coached me forever. And, and my dad, you know, kept pushing me to move forward. And, and I, I think always told me the truth. And I remember a lot of lessons that my dad gave me. You know, if you don't practice well, then you'll never get in the game. I never liked to practice that much. Like, this is something I tell my kids. Uh, you know, there's things. It's not like he just stopped telling me the truth. Oh, great pitch, Chad. You hit five people in a row. Like, that was never the conversation. But he learned to tell the truth in a better way. And, and out of that, uh, I think I've learned to tell the truth in a better way to my children. And here's, you know, the reality as we turn our attention to the scriptures today. There's 
a lot of difficult things in the Bible, right? I mean, we just prayed for people who aren't children of God. And, you know, we believe that, that those people are living in a state of kind of hopelessness uh, and that their destiny is bad and, and that, you know, there's, they're slaves to sin and to fear, um, which we just sang about, but they're also slaves to sin these are bad things. And the book of Revelation, which we've been studying through, I wrote this sermon like five weeks ago. If you forgot that we were preaching, I was preaching through Revelation, I would forgive you because of my health through the month of December. But, but, uh, but we're going through the book of Revelation and there, is so many, there are so many things that are, that are difficult, right? Like God punishing people and getting vengeance for his people and bringing justice to those who have been persecuted. And how we communicate those things is really important. It's really important. And how we communicate the hard things of the Bible is really important. And, and here's what I see maybe too much of. And you've probably experienced this and maybe, you know, you hear, you know, I know most of you, maybe some of you watching online, maybe, maybe this is what you don't like about Christians. There seems to be two things that happen. One is that people will tell the truth but they just seem like they hate the people they're talking about. It's like, you're all going to hell. <laughs> you know, it's like almost that mentality, like, like, like they're excited that people are going to end up in hell someday. Or that uh, sins that they don't like are sins. Or, or to tell people, it's like, hey, you're so wrong. You're such an idiot for being wrong. Like how much of that happens on the internet? Like with our moral values, Christian biblical moral values, but when people communicate those online, right? It's like such a jerky way of doing it. Like you guys are so stupid. On the flip side, you know, there's like, there's this way of communicating that, that we just stop telling the truth. And we ignore all of the bad parts, and part of the reason I think it's good to be working our way through the book of Revelation for as much, you know, as for as unfun as it can be, I think that it's good to work our way through Revelation because it has a lot of the hard stuff, right? And it would be easy to just turn our attention to like 10 passages in the book of Revelation and say like, hey, here's a great worship scene and here's a description of Jesus and this is what it looks like in the end and it's gonna be glorious and to just skip the rest of it. It'd be easy to do. But then we're not telling the truth. Then we're not coaching at all. And our passage today, I think, kind of in this big scene that we're going to look at, we see this little glimpse of the attitude that is required in order to communicate the hard things of Scripture in the right way. And what we're going to see is that for John, who's writing these scriptures down, I'm just going to cut right to the chase. There is this, this moment where he tastes it, and it's like honey to him, but it turns bitter inside of him. It's this moment where he sees that all, like there's a, two sides to every coin, right? Like some of these things, like God will punish those who hurt me for my faith. That's big news. Not maybe in America, but all around the world, people dying for their faith. That's big news. And it's happy news in a lot of ways. But we also must recognize that it is sad and bitter to know that God's wrath will eventually be poured out. 
We're going to look at Revelation chapter 10, um, and, and before we do, uh, Jim McGuigan says chapters 10 through 12 are well-placed. They are designed to comfort. They come immediately after the manifestation of ungodly brute strength, and immediately before the terrible trio. Strong angels assure a besieged city is yet protected. Witnesses in sackcloth are still all the victors. A new baby wins. A woman is protected, and the rest of her seed are victorious too. Some of that I preached about for the, the Christmas sermon that I hope you were able to watch that we did online you may see me holding a dragon uh, and, and some of it I want to talk about today here's how it begins but remember this was in the context of comfort but it's so instructive for how we communicate the hard things of scripture then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven he was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head and his face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And so this description, it, it's a reminder, it reminds us of Jesus but most scholars actually don't think it is Jesus. It, it's probably a representative of Jesus but within that we see something pretty amazing because there's this incredibly big description of Jesus messenger or representative in this section and he's the, he's called mighty he's got the you know the cloud above him he's got the rainbow his face is like the sun I mean this is like a big deal right like this is a crazy character and it's all meant to show kind of the majesty of this character and he's standing like not on a beach because it talks about one foot in the sea and one foot in the uh, on the land. And it's not like a you know we're not supposed to picture like a guy you know just one foot over here in the ocean. Like I, that's about how I touch the ocean when we go to the beach. Uh, I like go like this. I'm like that's good. Uh, let's go inside and buy taffy now. That's how I usually feel. Uh, not like that. It's meant to have you picture more like a map. Like he's standing one foot in the sea and one on the land. This is a giant creature. And I say all that, and you know, some of the Old Testament descriptions of angels kind of fit in there. And I say all that because if we're meant to see the majesty of Jesus' representative, then again, and we've talked about this as we've moved through the book of Revelation, we are really meant to see the majesty of Jesus. I mean, it's, if this is his representative, and it's this big and this mighty and this, you know, almost glorious feeling, if, if, if his messenger, his communicator, if his representative is like that, then what are we supposed to think of Jesus? I, I would hope, I would hope that, that as we move through the book of Revelation, your view of Jesus goes up. I mean, we should see Jesus in a majestic way. Now, we should also see Jesus in a personal way, in an intimate way. I mean, Jesus is our friend, but he is also our king, and even more, he is our God. We should see it in both ways. I hated those shirts back in the day. Jesus is my homeboy. I think, I mean, nobody even, if you're young, you don't remember those shirts, but I'm still whining about them in sermons whenever I get the chance because it seemed to lower Jesus, and it's so different than, you know, seeing his representative and seeing this description, and if Jesus is higher than that, then you know, we should be quicker to fall on our faces before him than to declare him our homeboy and shove his face on a t-shirt. Now, there's this scroll here, it's called a little scroll, and I think that the little scroll and the scroll, this is debated, but they're used interchangeably in the book, and so I think that, that what we read here is probably the prophecy that 
that John has already been given. It's alluded to in Revelation chapter 1, verses 3. This is the prophecies that are of worldwide significance. They're important for us to pay attention to, to read, to think about, to question how far does it extend. And we've done some of that if we've, as we move through the book of Revelation. And, and we, we should not only ask what, and I hope you remember this, uh, we shouldn't ask like what these things are, but how do these things impact my life? Revelation is not meant to be a book of interest. It's meant to be a book of impact. And then there's this thunder. Psalm 29.3 talks about thunder. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. And and Psalm 29 is kind of general, but often thunders are referred to in terms of punishment. And so maybe again here we see just a glimpse that God is, and this is the bitter part of it, right? God is going to punish people that stand against him and his people. But this weird thing happens. It's, he's told to seal it up. He's told not to say it. It doesn't go in the book of Revelation. We don't know what happens here exactly. Richard Bauckham says, the prof- process of increasingly severe warnings of judgment will not be extended any further because such judgments do not produce repentance. And I think that's a key idea because all of this that we're reading about, all of it, it's meant to produce repentance. And there in that, I think there's a glimpse of of one of the things that we need to remember when we're communicating the hard truths of Scripture. Even in the book of Revelation where it's pretty harsh, right? I mean, like these things are written in a pretty harsh way and they are exaggerated and they're apocalyptic and and, and it's bad and, and it's like very extreme black and white and there's no gray area and it's not like people are kind of nice. It's like, hey, you're with God or you're, you're out. You know, you're gonna be punished. That's what it feels like. And even in this, the communication that God is giving to us through John, even in this, is meant to produce repentance. When you communicate truth, when we communicate truth, is the goal simply to tell people they're wrong and to shove it in their face? Is it to create enemies or to draw lines? Or is our goal like God's goal, and that is to produce repentance? I think this is so important. When we communicate the hard script, truths of scripture we should be communicating them with the hopes that it will lead people to changing their lives specifically through giving their lives to jesus i think we've probably all you know kind of done it in the wrong ways even if it's behind people's backs right i mean you know the phrase go to hell that's thrown out there flippantly right people say that so flippantly but but we as christians should be like we actually believe people might and will And so we need to be communicating in such a way that we draw people away from that. If we're running around telling people, hey, you're a wretched sinner. This is bad. This is evil. I can't believe you do that. And we don't have behind it the goal that those people will be drawn into a relationship with Jesus, then I don't think we're in line with what the book of Revelation describes. Now we can say a lot of those same things, right? That's a sin. This is evil. That's bad. Those are, that's truth, right? We still need to communicate those truths. But we need to do it in such a way that the goal is repentance. People coming to Jesus. The, the passage continues. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea, on the land, raised his right hand, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, and the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. 
But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, uh, different groups, as you could imagine, view this passage, this little section right here that I just read, in different ways. Uh, some, the preterists, see it predominantly about the Jewish nature of the church and how that ends in around 70 AD. Historicists see this part as being about the Protestant Reformation. Remember, this is the kind of timeline through history. They see this timeline through history. Futurists see many options here. An idealist, and I think I'm with the idealist in this section, they see it as the union of Jew and Gentile in Christ. And that's often what Paul kind of describes when he talks about mystery, that God would bring together Jews and Gentiles, people that have nothing in common, that should not be together. They, God can bring them together in Jesus and create a new family. Now the angel raises his right hand, which reminds us of Daniel 12, 7, and there there's this announcement of a time and times and a half and all of this. Uh, but in Daniel, and I think now we are meant to see the power of God in this section, and the angel declares there will be no more delay, for the mystery of God will be accomplished. Be accomplished. So what does the word mystery, you know, really refer to? I said there's a kind of the Jewish Gentile thing, but but I think it actually goes deeper and more broad at the same time than just that. Um, interestingly, the word announce in this passage is the exact same Greek word that, that translates for us to preach the gospel or to evangelize. I find that really interesting. In the New Testament, this word, you know, often is to preach. And here, these angels are making an announcement and they talk about this mystery. And so I think in the broadest sense, the mystery is the work that Jesus has come to do. The work of salvation, the work of salvation that leads to redemption and, and leads to reconciliation between groups. It's the work of Jesus for salvation and all that flows from that salvation. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in us. That Jesus would come to indwell us through his Holy Spirit. That he would make a home with us. That he would become our friend. That he would become our Lord and our Savior. That he would die for our sins. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. I mean, Paul in the book of 1 Timothy, he says, here's the, the great mystery. It's the gospel. And my, oh my, I think this helps us in some ways with how we communicate the hard truths of Scripture. That God would step out of heaven to offer me the hope of glory. That's a mystery. Not in the mystery that it's a secret that nobody knows about. A mystery in like, why in the world would he do that for me? Frankly, it's a mystery in how it all works that God could sacrifice himself on my behalf. I mean, we have theories. I could talk to you about the atonement. He substituted for me. I get all of the logical answers to that question, but what does that even really, really mean? There's mystery in it that God would come to save a wretched sinner like me. That's a mystery, but it's so great. 
And as we think about communicating the hard truths of Scripture, I think we need to be like Paul, who remember that we are the chief of all sinners right along with him, that we are sinners. And if we've accepted this good gospel that Jesus came from heaven to earth to die for our sins, and he's given me the hope of glory, he's offered me salvation, he has allowed me to reconcile with people that, that I should never be reconciled with. He's allowed me to have relationships in this church that I would call deep friendships with people that I never would have hung out with if you just left it up to interest. I was playing sports as a little guy. RJ was building Legos. I mean, this was so different, but yet we love each other so deeply. And and this is a mystery to me that he'd allow me to do it. And when I remember that I don't deserve any of this, doesn't it change how I talk about the things I talk about when I talk about the hard truths of Scripture? I mean, you're going to hell. I could say that with thinking I'm not because I and better than you, or I can say that remembering that I deserve to be there too. You're a sinner. Can be said thinking, you're an idiot for sinning so much, or oh me too, I just happen to be saved, right? Like there's very different ways and different heart that produces those ways to communicate truth. And I, and I do, I want to pause and say, I think I just too much too much in too many churches I see one side or the other not telling the whole truth of scripture or being unwilling to share the hard parts of scripture or not saying things with the right attitude and in the right way now it continues and this is kind of the meat of of what I wanted to get to in verses 8 through 11 then the voice that I'd heard from heaven spoke to me once more go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and the land so I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll he said to me take and eat it and it will turn your stomach sour but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth but when I'd eaten it my stomach turned sour Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Ezekiel 2 and 3, very similar language. By the way, challenge for you, read the book of Ezekiel and look for things that you've heard in Revelation or that we talk about week over week uh, because Ezekiel is so instructive and if you haven't noticed that, it's my fault, but Ezekiel is so instructive for Revelation and there's so many symbols there that get replayed in the book of Revelation but used in a different way. So that's really important. Um, but listen to what Jim McGuigan again says, the man was, a, was to accept fully the message and the consequence of the message We're here in the presence of men who are making the message a part of them and giving themselves to the message. That's the goal. I mean, here's here's John. He's getting this prophecy, and now he's told to eat the prophecy in some way. So what's that about? You know, I mean, that's weird symbolism, right? And, And the point seems to be that John is supposed to make this message a part of him. That's instructive for us too, right? I mean, when it comes to the Bible And our job, we who are Christians, we are supposed to preach the gospel to all nations and we're supposed to teach people to live like Jesus. Like this this is our job, right? Like John, who's been given a job to give this prophecy that we call the book of Revelation, we too have been given a job to make disciples of people. This is what we're supposed to do. 
And it's going to be really hard to do unless the message of Jesus becomes a part of who we are. Now, I don't mean you need to memorize the Bible or anything like that, but it needs to become a part of you. If you don't ever read the Bible, it's going to be hard to communicate the, the words in it to anybody else. Now, look, I'm, I've been a pastor a long time now. Uh, I have some higher education in, in the area of biblical studies. But frankly, most of the time, when I have an important conversation with somebody and I'm talking about scriptures, it's not like I'm like, in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, I don't even know if that exists, I know Joel 2.18, um, but like 25, it says this, and so go out and do this differently, like, that's not how it is, it's like, hey, somewhere in scripture I know that this is true, and so do this, maybe you should try this, and, and it's worked in my life, that's more like what it looks like most of the time, and, and that's what it needs, that's what I think John's being told to do here, is like, internalize it so that you can let it out so that you can communicate it with other people and when he eats it like scripture should be for all of us it's sweet like honey to him psalm nineteen ten says this about the word of god uh, the words of god the commands of god they are more precious than gold than much pure gold they are sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb psalm 119 103 how sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth, we should be people, did you see the word that he used there, devour, we should be people who devour the word of God. If you've been around for a long time, then you know it's a big deal to me that, that I never stand up and, and tell people that they should read the Bible more, that's just not, I just don't think that works, I don't think that's the, the message of scripture, but I am hope, I hope that I consistently try to help you want to read the Bible more because you begin to see how sweet it is to our souls. Uh, in the book of 1 Peter, it says, it, says to, it says that once you've tasted that the Lord is good, that you should, you should be nourished on his word because you've tasted, you know. And, and, and all of us, I think, that are Christians, we have a moment in our, in our, uh, or at least a, a period of time in, in our early days of Christianity where God really gets a hold of our hearts, right? And we saw how good he was and how great it was. And the Bible and, and reading, it should be an extension of that. And maybe if you're reading it and it feels like, you know, eating cardboard versus <laughs> dipping your tongue in t honey, then, then let's talk about reading it differently because it should, be, it should be sweet. It should be sweet to you. But then it hits John's stomach. And it's bitter. I mean, put yourself in John's shoes. Hey, here's a book. You know, talks about how God is going to, to bring justice to his people. And how we should, I mean, really, a big part of it is we should continue to worship. And, and we should hold on, even when it's really hard. We should serve Jesus even when it's really hard. That's how I summarize the book of Revelation. Oh, and in the midst of all that, I'm going to talk about whole nations and how evil they are. And how people are going to be punished so badly that they'll want to die. And how those people have chosen to be enemies and how they're on the wrong side with Satan and how Satan is going to lose and it's going to be great for everybody that accepts Jesus but terrible for people that don't. Well, that's not all butterflies and rainbows. I mean, this is what John, I mean, he has to, I mean, thankfully, we get to just be like an extension of, you know, telling the hard parts of scripture. He's the guy that's going to write it down and ship it off to the world. Here in the hand of John, while I was having a, you know, a revelation, I, I would like you to know that a bunch of you are on the losing team and it's going to end awful for you. 
that's bitter. And here, this is, this is, this is the part that's so important. When we read scripture, even the hard, terrible stuff should be honey to us in some ways because we know what we've been saved from and we know what God has redeemed us from and how God has worked in our lives. When we read about sin being sin, being bad, being evil, God being against sin, God hating sin, we should be so thankful. God, like you, you broke the slavery, the chain of slavery that I was under in my sin. So th- that is sweet, right? Like that is good. I am so glad that I no longer have to give in to that thing that was hurting me anymore. But at the same time, we should recognize that sharing, that is hard for people. And that there are people who are stuck in that sin, who are enslaved to that sin. And there are people who who have rejected God and they are enemies of God by their own doing because they have rejected God like we used to be. And when it comes to every subject of Scripture, really, or at least the hard parts, it should be so sweet to us, but we should also remember the ramifications and not enjoy them. Hey, you're going to hell. <laughs> that's, there's no, that's just no part for us as Christians. Like there's, there's no, that's not who we should be. We shouldn't sit around mocking. This is what I see so frequently, mocking the people that are on the other side, right? Like, hey, they're such idiots because they haven't embraced, you know, called this thing sin that we call sin. That's not it. That's not the deal. We used to be like that. Now we've been saved and that's sweet but it's bitter that they haven't been. And so we should communicate in such a way that it leads to repentance. That should be our goal and our aim so that they can be on our side with us. So that they can read the same words and feel the sweetness of the salvation that they remind us of or tell us of. I mean too often we're like you know just you suck. That's how we communicate. You suck. Or we go the other direction, right? And what do we do? We don't tell people the truth at all. Jesus can be a sensitive subject. My brother-in-law Matt and I over there, we've worked on a book. I don't know if we'll ever finish, but we've worked on a book together. One of the illustrations we use in that book, it stuck with me through the years. We found this article that said a very famous pastor had tweeted so many times, like, I don't know, 1,000 times, 2,000 times, 10,000 times, a lot of times. Never had used the name of Jesus. Not one time. So this is the opposite side, right? Like, hey, you all suck, or hey, I'm not going to tell you about Jesus because he might offend you. These are not okay things. We can only get to telling the truth in the right way if our goal is repentance and if we allow even the hardest words, to be sweet to our tongues, but bitter to our stomachs. Sweet because we recognize how God has changed our lives, but bitter because we know that other people haven't allowed him to do the same. See, that's when we start to communicate things in the right ways. have more but I think that's a good ending spot let me pray Lord Jesus
Um, I think we're all guilty of this. And in our world, God, is, <laughs> you know, we, it's like we've drawn up battle lines about every single issue. And I think that's factored into Christians just picking a side and lobbing grenades over and saying, they're, they're idiots. And I also think that's contributed to so many Christians not being willing to talk about the hard stuff. Pastors who never preach about your punishment or about sin. But I pray for us as a church, Lord, uh, this phrase that I love so much, Lord, that we would be a church that, that truths in love, that tells the truth in love. And I think that's really hard to do, Lord, if, if we're not receiving truth in the right way and if our goals aren't right. It's hard to tell the truth in love, Lord, when, when our goal is simply to tell somebody they're wrong. It's hard to tell the truth in love when our goal is simply to win an argument. It's hard to tell the truth in love, God, when, you know, we, we don't love, when we're just mad, when we've pitted other people as the enemy. Um, and Lord, I pray that this passage that I just preached on would be instructive for our souls and you bring us to a place, Lord, where where we do, we, we do ingest, God, your word, and it becomes a part of who we are. And it's always sweet to us, Lord. I'm always amazed, God, by David in Psalm 119 specifically, talking about how much he loves your commandments because, God, I love so much of your word, but the commandments, you know, are not always my favorite, but he just loves them and, and he just cherishes them. And, and, and God, we need to be like that. We need to love all of the 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 scripture that you've given us, all of the ways that you've allowed us to know you and know about you, God, in your word. But we also need to not just enjoy that other people are wretched sinners or that they're going to hell or that they're wrong and we know we're right, but rather, God, we should be sick. We should be sick over the souls of those who have not come to be your children, Lord. And so I pray, God, for those of us right here in this room, those watching online right now, that we would be a people whose word is sweet to our tongues and bitter to our stomachs. And out of that, Lord, we would be willing to tell the truth in the right ways, God, in loving ways, in true ways, in good ways. We would tell the truth in the right ways. And we do it, God, um, we would do it for the right purposes. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.